welcoming you to the Intune podcast with myself, Ashley Velvet Frost. I am a holistic coach and deep diver of life, fascinated with the interconnectedness and uniqueness of our individual life and healing journeys. We are not one size fits all when it comes to thriving in our health and well-being. We are a combination of our physical, emotional, intellectual, energetical and spiritual bodies. It's my mission to support others in building their own unique toolkit for holistic living. I believe that knowing yourself deeply can in turn change your world. In this podcast, we'll be following the Intune Five Frequencies, a method for empowering you to become your own self-healer and bring your life back into alignment. The brainwave frequencies gamma, beta, alpha, theta, and delta relate to topic areas of mind, connections, body, direction, and spirit. You'll be hearing from inspiring people who are embodying these five frequencies, collecting insights, stories, tips, coaching, and guaranteed new ways of living in tune. So welcome, welcome everybody to another episode of the In Tune podcast with myself, Ashley Velvet Frost. And today I've got a very exciting guest who's featuring under the frequency of beta, which is relationships and connections. And this is Simon Nicholas. Welcome, Simon. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I love the name of your podcast, by the way. Perfect. Yeah. I mean, the five frequencies of these brainwave frequencies that we have in the different brainwave states and yeah, the beta frequency is I think one of the most important because it's about our connections. So this is our relationships, not just with our lovers, but our friends, families, our society, our business partners, our colleagues. So it's a very, very broad uh, category. And yeah, Simon is a relationship coach, um, currently based in Bali, um, originally from Canada and has been working with people to help raise their self-esteem, their worth, and to have much healthier and more vibrant relationships. So you got it. You could yeah, to touch on that about the, what do you call it? A beta? Is it beta? Mm-hmm. Yes. So I don't know a lot about that, that kind of stuff. I've, I learned a little bit from Joe Dispenza, but the different frequency that we operate in. And I was, because mm-hmm. you sent me this questionnaire at the beginning and it asked me that. And I was grateful that you actually said what those things mean otherwise I wouldn't know what to put perfect yeah the the beta brainwave frequency is one where we're learning often it's the um if you look at the busiest it's like gamma's first then we have beta and it's like the one where we're in this state where we're learning often so with relationships this is often the foundation of how we learn in the beginning of the world when we're right. with our families and how our yeah our worldview and paradigms are formed so it felt fitting that connections fit into this area and yeah, also, if Mas- you're looking at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which do link a little bit to that, then love, belonging, and connection is also um, featured more as like the fundamental basis of the big pyramid. Right. Yeah. Monkey see, monkey do kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a huge reason why I became relationship coaches because my concept of relationships was movies and family members. That was it. Well, this and is so- perfect. This I will not ask exactly like how you've got here today and how you've become... A relationship coach yeah well for me you know i i've been always fascinated with personal development even when i was in my teens uh one of the first personal development books i read was men are from mars women are from venus because i was stuck in the friend zone i could not for the life of me figure out how to get out of the friend zone i was best friends with a bunch of girls and no one wanted to move farther than that and that was frustrating you know for any young men out there who experienced that it's it's not fun 
And then it was just, you know, throwing stuff on the wall to see what sticks, just trial and error of, of relationships. Um, and I, I struggled, you know, I struggled in personal relationships. I start, struggled with um, commitment. I struggled with uh, overcommitment, you know, blindly committing. And uh, through that experience, I, I, I got coaching. I got support. I had some tough breakups uh, and I got my first relationship coach after doing a lot of other personal development. And uh, when I saw a relationship coach, I was like, this is amazing. Like, I can't believe this is a thing, you know, and I can't believe how obvious it is to get business coaching, but how absolutely rare it is to get relationship coaching when it's such an important area of life. And I was kind of in a transition in my career as well. I was a kinesiologist. I owned a gym in Vancouver and we did some coaching on movement, a little bit of lifestyle coaching. And I kind of fell out of love with that. And then it was like, wait, maybe I can do this. You know, it's helped me so much. I can use my personal life experiences. I can maybe put something together. And then it was about trying things out and developing the Love Over Fear program that I have now. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, it is so relationships seem like such a topic that's a bit uh, taboo, a little bit uncomfortable for people of like, why, how could somebody else know how my relationship's meant to work? Um, so can you explain a little bit maybe what does actually mean to be a relationship coach? Yeah, well, it's such, I mean, like you said, it's such a vulnerable thing to address. You know, it's pretty easy to go, hey, I'm having trouble meeting my bottom line. I need support in creating this amount of revenue. To go, I'm having trouble with my commitment and my communication skills, or maybe I have a temper. To admit that is a huge courageous act. So that, I mean, that huge first step is required to even, you know, make a difference to, to address that there is a problem. Mm -hmm. So for me, relationship coaching, what it looks like is, you know, really helping people connect to themselves about what they truly want, getting really clear about it, mm -hmm. and then being able to communicate to others what those expectations are, and maybe where I might be pushing back responsibility or acting like things are a particular way. Because so often in relationships, people are walking around with unspoken expectations. And so a big part of my job is to get those expectations in the forefront so that we can actually have what we want rather than wandering around just thinking someone's just going to get it. Well, it's like you say, if you've been, we've all grown up watching Disney movies. So you kind of expect, yes, my, my man, my prince will do this for me. And then I'm going to live this kind of life and you live happily ever after. But most movies, that phrase, living happily ever after, that's when the work begins. That's when the relationship begins. <laughs> right. That's that's the honeymoon stage. Yeah. No movies past the honeymoon stage. They exactly. go, so it's fireworks. The thing I got from movies a lot was the, um, the grand gesture. Mm -hmm. When I was younger, I would always do the grand gesture. But I didn't work on the, the foundation of the relationship. I was like, look at this amazing thing I did for you. Aren't I great? It's like, yeah, well, I yeah, gave this but... one plus one equals two. <laughs> I give my I give my love, therefore you give me love. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. So something that you've already mentioned is that oftentimes people even don't even know what it is that they want, let alone like being able to communicate those things. Um, so I mean, how do you help your clients tapping into exactly what their, their needs are? Because this is such an inner child um focus. It's such a like pain points sometimes we don't like to admit that we really need so much stuff it's like especially I notice and I can say this from experience as a 
used to work in corporate, hyper-independent kind of masculine woman, it's like, I don't need no one. Like, I don't need yes. your help. Totally. I don't need your input as a man. And it's a lot of unconditioning to get past that, at least from the female perspective. Totally, because for some women, that's really worked professionally. You know, maybe that was a, was a recipe that really helped them out professionally, but is detrimental in connection. And it's hard to navigate the balance of that. So there's two ways that I do it. The very first way is, you know, someone doesn't know what they want. Okay, well, what do you not want? Sometimes that's a lot easier to say. Well, I don't want someone who says this, or I don't want someone who does that. And I don't want, and it's like, okay, great. What's the opposite of that? Suddenly it gets a lot easier. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want to not be touched. Okay, so what do you want? I want affection. Okay, great. I don't want to come home and silently eat dinner together. So you want communication. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. So we start to unravel it a little bit. It's kind of like peeling back an onion. And then I say, okay, well, if, if you were communicating, what would you be communicating about? Mm -hmm. I'd love for us to, you know, talk about our dreams and our hopes, or maybe a project we're working on together, or, you know, the future. Oh, okay, great. What would be in that future? And so my job is really just to pose those questions to start to go down that path that very easily stops with men are all like this or women are all like that. Yeah. And then it's a write-off. Then we can't even have the conversation. Yeah. So I'm like, if men are all like that, well, what could the man that you want be like? Let's just imagine, not have to pretend it's real yet. Mm -hmm. And so then we go down that path and it creates some opportunity. I love this. Because this also links almost to law of attraction work. If you're visioning and spe specifying for the universe what it is you want. And I know from experience, because I have done this before, I once listed out almost 25 characteristics or like uh, mannerisms of a partner that I really was seeking. And then three or four months later, I met someone who em literally embodied that whole list. I even showed them the list, like some really weird specifics. And they were like, wow, like I am like that. How did you know? And I was like, I was calling it in. It's like manifesting as well. It's knowing what you want and the universe can start putting things in place to deliver that to you. But I bet you didn't stop there because that's a key step, right? Getting clear about what you want. But the next question goes, okay, what kind of person would attract that kind of person? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then your job is to be that. Yes. Which yeah. is the step that a lot of people skip. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I want a million dollars. Look, I wrote it down. Look, yeah. I wrote it down. Okay, what kind of, what kind of person attracts a million dollars? Don't worry about it. I'm going to sit on the couch. It's just going to show up. Yeah, 100%. Like, no, there's a participation. Not saying it has to be hard. It doesn't have to be hard. But it takes an active participation as well, which I think is the question so few address. They're kind of like, I want this perfect person. Well, first of all, no one's perfect. And you've got your flaws too. The question is, can you be great together? Yeah, I heard people saying like, I'm, I'm looking for my king. And it's like, cool, are you embodying your queen? And it's like, are, are you really being the best version of yourself? Not to say you can't have flaws, like you say, that makes you yourself and your character. But right. it's like, oh yeah, I really want someone who's like adventurous and all these things. It's like, are you also adventurous? Like it's, yeah, Bingo. it's a great mirror exercise to go back to. Because if, if that king walked by, would he be interested in talking to you? Or are you just expecting to swallow him to... sometimes? That's a tough yeah. one to swallow. <laughs> then we gotta go, 
shit, I've been complaining about my life and, you know, I haven't got some things together. And it's like, well, that king's just going to walk on by. Yeah. And sometimes it's more also the energy. It may like if you, you're going that. about life. Yeah. You may not have X, Y, Z on paper, but if you're carrying that like clarity yeah. and that confidence, then it's more likely going to be a vibrational match. But this is all the how element of the law of vibration or so if if you're on this level and the person that you're wanting is on that kind of level, then of course you're not going to find each other. Which I think isn't talked about enough on a more basic level, you know, cause I can tell you're a very spiritual person. Yeah. And I think the basic level of that is people walk into a room and there's a certain attraction that some people have. And it isn't necessarily like symmetry in their face. It's not mm -hmm. like a physical, there's an energy. And we all have had that time where we're like, there's something going on over there. Like, I kind of mm -hmm. want to go over there and see what's happening. They're talking about something interesting. And I think that's the energy and frequency that some people who haven't had those kind of conversations mm -hmm. think is far-fetched, but they understand it at that level. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the what you're pointing to as well as tapping into that energy. Am I operating from that energy? Mm -hmm. Okay, if I'm not, what's missing? You know, what's getting in the way? Maybe it's a past relationship that's incomplete. You know, maybe it's a limiting belief that we haven't clarified. Mm -hmm. And I think this really covers around the whole building self-worth and building somebody's, let's say, confidence about who they are, what they have to offer to themselves and the world. So, I mean, how do you go about helping people with building their confidence and, with your coaching? So this is the, the thing, you know, you can encourage someone all day long but they have to see it for themselves, mm -hmm. you know? So I really, I really pride myself on not telling people what to do and creating opportunities for them to discover for themselves. So once we've established what they want, we've created clarity around that. Then we go, okay, what would it look like to play this like a game? In real life, what does that have? So if you're being attractive, spontaneous adventurous mm -hmm. okay what's an adventure you want to go on okay i'm gonna i'm gonna we're gonna now engage in that adventure and so i've got a bunch of exercises where it's like okay we're gonna put ourselves in positions to have conversations with people you know we're gonna actually have communication maybe with a stranger we're gonna have communication with our family that we've been disconnected to and that's where the transformation happens is in real life you know I, I am always careful to make sure people don't get too obsessed with the book, with the journaling, with the like, okay, great. You've done all the journaling. Now, what does that look like in real life? Mm -hmm. Does it look like calling that best friend you've been avoiding? Because in that communication where you're completely honest and take hundred percent responsibility, you're going to discover yourself in a new way. Mm -hmm. And that's how you develop confidence. So depending on the game they create, my job is to help hold them accountable to that game and essentially create the minimal step to improvement. So I'm all about aiming low. You know, I used to be about aiming high, shoot for the stars and all that. I'm like, okay, that's a good place to start, shoot for the stars. But after you shoot for the stars, it becomes overwhelming. And it's just like, it's like rungs on a ladder. You know, you see, okay, that's where I want to be, but you haven't got the six first rungs on the ladder. You can't even reach that. So it's like, how can we break this down to the smallest possible step? You know, where am I avoiding communication? 
You know, am I, am I kind of dating someone that I don't actually want to be with? Maybe it's time to end that thing. Because yeah. I promise you, if your king found that out, he's walking right by. Yeah. Yeah. And this is something I, it resonates really deeply because relationships are not just romantic. So if, if your Everywhere. communication kind of sucks in your romantic relationships, it probably pro- sucks with other people in your life. And it's, that's something that it's like, okay, it's not just one bubble. And then this is the rest of the relationships that, that you have. It's improve on one area. Everything is going to flow. Your heart connection with people will flow. Life will be a lot easier. There's a lot less misunderstandings going on as well. Sometimes people are very disappointed that, uh, you know, maybe three sessions into my program, they start to realize oh shit, I got to talk to my parents. <laughs> I got I to get some things cleared up. And that's obviously not what they signed up for. But like you just said, it's having an impact on other areas of your life. Yeah. One of my coaches, oh, this was such a shitty pill to swallow. He said to me, how you are with your mom is how you'll be with your future partner. And I was not proud of how I was with my mom. Mm-hmm. She deserved more respect. She deserved more of my time. She deserved more connection. Mm-hmm. And I hated hearing that because I was like, if that's true, well, I better get reconnected to my mom because yeah. it doesn't matter what I'm going to do in the dating world if I'm still avoiding all that. Yeah, if there's imbalances or dysfunction with your primary caregivers, they especially the opposite sex one, they are the ones that you form your first relationship with. So, right. I mean, do you cover this with the people that you coach with also, the yeah. parent relationships? Yeah, that's, uh, that's module four. <laughs> yeah. That's when we get into <laughs> our relationship blueprint and how that was mapped out, you know, how we actually came up with the traits that represent a potentially good partner and where we learned how to behave around the opposite sex. Like you just said, that was our first, our mm-hmm. first template. And it has an impact. It has an impact on how we show up. And until we recognize what that impact is, it's pretty hard to interrupt patterns that aren't working. So we got to get to the heart of like, oh, wow, you know what? There's something that my mom does that always triggers me this way. Does that also happen in your romantic relationships? Oh, shit. Yeah, it does. <laughs> well, let's go where it all started. And some people I work with, you know, maybe their parents passed away. And you can do this with parents that have passed away. You don't yeah. have to be alive. You know, obviously we wish they were, but you can, you can do it in that way for anyone who's like, oh, you know, that's, I feel like I've lost my chance. You know, you can still get complete. Yeah. Uh, the first ever coaching that I received was family constellation coaching. And this was, again, if you've had people who passed or missing or you don't have a contact with, and I know a lot of people who it's not safe for them to be in touch with that family member for whatever reason. And there's still a lot of like unresolved patterns and trauma going on. So it, yeah, it can still be healed. I mean, is there other ways apart from family constellation work that people can do this? Is this like internal dialogues or conversations or, um, yeah, I think I'm, I'm also curious for this. So I'm sure the people who haven't heard of it would be interested. Yeah. So the way I do it is I have them write a letter, a practice letter, and that letter can be given to the person or it cannot be. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to. So like you said, you know, maybe there's someone in your family that's actually unsafe yeah. for you to be sharing certain things, you know, or to be with them in some physical form. Okay, that's fine. We can, we can do it over here with you because that's really what we're doing anyway. We're getting you complete regardless of what anyone else has ever done. Yeah. 
They don't have to change for you to be empowered. Yeah. And I think that's the part that many are hung up on is that I'm putting my growth in someone else's hands. I'm putting my trauma mm -hmm. in someone else's hands. Yeah. I can't remember. There's someone who said this quote. It's like something like my trauma is not my fault, but it's my responsibility. Something yeah. like this. I have my, my medicine woman was like, it's, it's uh, your responsibility and ability to respond to what's happened to you. Like it's really, yes, you can put your blame in the, oh, my parents did this or didn't give me enough love or they treated me this way. And it's like, it's not being self-responsible. It's not being empowered to really, it's always being a victim to not take control of your life. And I myself have been in that position when you're just like wallowing too much in the past. And yeah. So, I mean, if someone's kind of in this state, like I, I know a lot of people who are delving into let's say like attachment styles why they are the way they are how do you get past that block of like being also probably a bit angry at how you were raised even though your parents could love you too much or too little like you see both sometimes it's smothering sometimes it's neglecting um so how do how can people take back this empowerment well there's a key you talked about being a victim right and by the way you know anyone who's listening we're not trying to pretend like this stuff's easy. Yeah. You know, I was, I was on the phone today. I had three calls today and I was, I was in tears with all three of them because I was so moved by their courage to share what they want and how easy it is to not do that. How easy it is to say the world is like this or they're like that and that's just the way it is. So the first thing is, can you crack the door open to a new possibility? And a huge part of that is, getting fed up with something so you talk about maybe a parent loves too much or not enough and you're recognizing maybe a theme in your relationships you're recognizing a pattern i keep ending up with this kind of person it keeps ending this kind of way okay are you tired of that yet because once you get tired of it then you go i want another way mm -hmm. yeah. that sparks the first moment of curiosity okay if i want another way okay how do i do that Okay, I'm going to get some support. Maybe that's a therapist. Maybe that's a coach. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's just starting to say it out loud to our friend. I'm tired of ending up in this situation. And maybe that friend's going, finally, you're saying that because we're tired of hearing about it. <laughs> that's always the worst when your friends have been saying things and they're like, well, you now see you it. see, it's been years. <laughs> yeah, but you can't see it. When you're in it, you can't see it. You know, I've done group coaching and the person who's at the front of the room is the last person to get it. Everybody else watching the person being coached sees it like crystal clear, but the person in the front of the room doesn't see it yet. That's life. Mm -hmm. You know, and that to me is the mission of a coach is to help people see what they don't see right now. Yeah. And you can't tell them that. Yeah. Which is so frustrating sometimes as a coach, because sometimes I want to shake somebody. But it's like, if I'm doing that, I'm actually projecting onto them. That's about me. Yeah. You just have to hold the mirror to be like, hello. Yeah. <laughs> Which is look. something, you know, we have to keep in check as coaches. It's, it's a tough thing sometimes too. Yeah. Yeah. It's really an element of making sure that you're not putting your own trauma, your own childhood onto other people as well. Mm. Yeah. So um, I do want to ask you a little bit about attachment styles because we are talking about the topics of parents and relationships we have with our parents. Um, do you notice, I, I know that I've seen on your videos that you are more of an um, avoidant 
um, unless this was just on reels that you're doing, what kind of it's attachment style do you have or have well, you I'm secure. I'm balanced? secure now. I've, I'm secure now. I've been, I've been anxious mm -hmm. and I've been avoided. I would say I've spent most of my life in the anxious attachment style. Mm -hmm. My reels are me acting a lot more. So it's, yeah. that's probably why you, why you got that. Um, <laughs> now I'm in, <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Um, now I'm in a place of security, but for the most of my life, I would say I was in the anxious attachment stuff. Yeah, I have same. I would also concur. There's that. and it's often funny because anxious will then attract avoidance, and then That's it's right. like the perfect like earthquake coming together of people. Yeah, yeah. That's so I mean, for anybody who doesn't know about it, could you give really like a very very quick overview of what the different attachment styles mean, just for a bit of context before we kind of go into them a bit more? Yeah, so attachment style is how you relate to other people. So we all have a way that we do that and a way that we're triggered when it's not working out. And the three main ways are anxious, avoidant, and secure. Mm -hmm. There's an amazing, if you want to learn more about it, there's an amazing book called Attached by Amir Levine. I highly recommend that book. It gives great examples of the different attachment styles, as well as tools on how to shift your attachment style. Mm -hmm. You also can take a quiz to find out what yours are. Don't worry. If it's one you weren't hoping for, they can change. You're not born with this and stuck with this. But that's that's the gist of it. So do you want me to explain like each attachment style a little bit, like what it is? Yeah, maybe in like a few words. Yeah, so um, the anxious attachment style is often um, concerned with being like. They're concerned with how they're perceived by others. They get really worried when they're not getting attention. You know, they tend to over-communicate, over-share, you know, we tend to, um, you know, essentially sometimes cause problems that aren't even there. Avoidant is the opposite spectrum. Avoidant is running from problems. Avoidant person says, I don't want to talk about it. Leave me alone. They are often less sensitive to certain things. Now, the angst tab smells really valuable because you're very aware, but hyper aware and therefore often triggered. Mm -hmm. Secure is the middle. That's where we want to be. Secure is... I love someone, but whether they choose to be with me or not is not going to ruin my life. I'm still my own person. Mm -hmm. And I, as much as I love them, I'm also unattached to how this goes. That's where we are the rock mm -hmm. in that, in that those waves crashing back and forth. Yeah. I, have, I can also resonate that there's times when you have been super stable or super in the secure attachment style. So what happens when you have, let's call it a relapse or something happens that you're like, wait, I thought I thought I was secure and I'm having all these like intrusive thoughts in either direction. So how can somebody try to kind of recenter themselves a bit when that happens? Well, you said like relapse, because I think that's exactly what it feels <laughs> <Yeah>. like. <laughs> How do you reset yourself? You're feeling secure and maybe you just got triggered by something. Yeah, well, the, the key part is to recognize that it's a trigger in the first place and it's not real. Mm. Likely it's not something that's real. So maybe, so I'll give you for example, because that's happened to me. I've been secure and then maybe my partner showed patterns of avoidance. Maybe I wanted to bring up an important topic and they kept saying no to talking about it or maybe later, maybe later. Mm. And then my anxiety goes, oh my gosh, maybe she's going to leave me. Mm -hmm. And it's like, then the secure version comes in and goes, wait, did she say she was going to leave you? Okay. Yeah. No, she didn't. What can you be responsible for? Okay. Maybe there's a way I'm not communicating what I want clearly. Mm. Maybe I need to say, 
hey, this really matters to me. Can we talk about it in a certain timeline or is there a certain day that you're available to talk about it? You know, and the, the anxious person will go, you need to, we need to talk about this now. And I can't even, I can't go to bed unless we talk about this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's recognizing that it is a trigger. And so there's two key things. I think if you're anxious, if you go to anxious, pause. Your job is to pause. Mm-hmm. If you're in anxious attachment style, your first reaction is a meltdown. It is not going to be effective. Your job is to close your mouth and rest. And I promise you, your second reaction is going to be genius. It's going to be magic, but very little time do we even get to the second one because we're so busy being triggered by the first one. So that's a superpower. The avoidance attachment style, when we're triggered in that direction, all we want to do is run, get out there, not face anything. Our job is to stay at the table. Mm-hmm. Even if we're not trying to deal with it, just stay there, stay in the conversation. You don't even have to figure it out. But if you can just keep your ass in the saddle, you're going to come back to security. It's almost like both of those options. It's like, breathe, just take a breath. <laughs> I, I get this image of like the secure attachment style is like a parent in the middle, just like very calm. And then either side, it's like screaming kids. <laughs> yeah, you'd, you'd hope that's the parent you had. <laughs> yeah. It was maybe the screaming parent or the one that was never there. Oh yeah, let's not go into that. You can see the <laughs> attachment styles of your parents as well, even with their another children. episode. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be a lot of different topics that you can go into with this. Um, something that has just come up if we're talking about anxious and avoidant, and this I feel like is a big topic in society, especially with dating, and I, that is the topic of ghosting, because this oh. is like if you are anxious attachment style, that is like the worst situation you can go through, and. Yeah, talk me through that a bit because you must have people who you coach who have, I'm not going to call it suffered from ghosting, but have experienced ghosting. And yeah. I'm glad you didn't call it that Um, because that's perpetuating the victim mentality. Yeah, yeah, experienced ghosting. I know I have. uh, I know I've actually ghosted as well. (laughs) And um, it's it's very painful. You know, I've been in the anxious attachment style where I've been ghosted. So when when I'm coaching someone who's had that experience, what I'm looking to transform them to is that that was a gift that someone walking out of your life is always a good thing because you only want people in your life who are voluntarily choosing to be there. Now, if you're anxiously attached, it's really hard to see that because it feels like your character is being rejected. It feels like there must be something wrong with me that caused this. Mm-hmm. And so what we're looking to do is distinguish someone else's behavior from our experience. Because most of the time in relationships, we are evaluating ourselves, our stock, the quality of how we are based off of how people treat around us. Mm-hmm. But that might not be an accurate representation. That might be a reflection of them. So if someone's ghosted you, my goal is to help people see that that's more a reflection of the person doing the ghosting than yourself. The next step of that is, what am I doing that's attracting people who are ghosting? Mm -hmm. Is there something I'm not being clear about? Is there something I'm not communicating? Now, that's distinct from there's something wrong with me. Yeah. Right? Because that's the default. There's something wrong with me. No, no, no. But that doesn't mean there isn't something missing that we could improve. Mm -hmm. It's a tough one to separate. 
It is. Yeah. I, I mean, I remember going through a phase when it wasn't just relationships. It was like job interviews, like never hearing back from people. Like, also, yeah, totally. like you get this a lot and then you're just like, okay, this is really a pattern going on. Like what is going on? Is this, am I ghosting myself somehow in life? So there's also, it's an interesting thing. Like most of the time you can use everything as a mirror back to yourself. If you're being disrespected, like how are you disrespecting yourself? If you're being ignored, where are you ignoring yourself as well? But it's a very difficult self-exercise to do because I myself struggled to even put those pieces together of like, what is going on? (laughs) I think what's key is in the question. So the disempowering question is what's wrong with me? Mm -hmm. That's where people go, what's wrong with me? Why didn't I get that job? What's wrong with me? Mm -hmm. The question I like to ask is what's missing that would make a difference? Yeah. And there's a, a famous example of Michael Jordan watching game tape, you know, and, and they say no one's watched more game tape than Michael Jordan. That's why he was so great. He's always watching himself, but he's not watching himself to see what's wrong with how he plays. He's watching himself to see what's missing that would make him better. Hmm. It takes away that personal attack. Yeah. You know, and so I think that it's in the questions, like, how do we talk to ourselves? What's missing that would make a difference? Doesn't mean you can't improve, right? Maybe you get the job interview and it's not happening. Maybe what was missing was your address wasn't on there or something. Who knows? You know, it could have been something so basic that you already knew. Yeah. There's, and there's often stories where you'd be like, yeah, well, maybe they got hit by a bus and maybe they, it's like, <laughs> They're in the no, legs. honey, like there's a movie that came out maybe in the 2000s, like he's just not that into you. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it really is. It's like, if it's not a hundred percent, yeah then it's a no and that's uh another like there's so many tough pills to swallow sometimes when it comes to relating and coming to interactions with other humans especially when the heart is involved because it feels so delicate totally that's why i think it's so important to become secure Mm -hmm. yeah because it's hard to deal with that stuff when we're operating from a place of insecurity yeah you know on both sides the avoidant and anxious but anyway if you haven't heard of that anybody listening highly highly recommend you get into that because it'll mm-hmm. it'll give you some tools and it'll kind of give you some recognition of what's happening yeah am i reacting to the real world or am i reacting based off of my attachment stuff yeah. amazing um so i have one other slightly controversial relationship topic that i want to get your <laughs> input on <laughs> Um, and this is the concept of open relating. So mm-hmm. I wonder, do you coach people who are purely in monogamous relationships or other types of relationship paradigms as well? So I have never coached anybody in a open relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've coached people who've wanted to be in an open relationship uh, where it didn't end up leading to that. I personally have never seen it work out successfully long term. Mm-hmm. I've seen it work out short term, you know, for a year or maybe two, um, but I've never seen it work out long term. That being said, I believe relationship is about negotiation. You know, it's about negotiating each other's wants and desires and finding a common ground that both people voluntarily agree to. And so for some people that looks like maybe they've been married for 10 years and they're looking to have a sexual adventure with someone else. And can they communicate that and voluntarily agree or disagree to it? So that's the part I'd be interested in, 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 in supporting people with. Yeah. That's been my experience of it. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, I also agree that the long-term aspect, it's like, I know very few people in my life who are deeply doing their inner work, reflection, shadow work, ability to communicate what's going on to the level where you could truly let an open partnership flourish without there being hurt feelings, chaos ensuing. And yeah, there's a lot of landmines in that yeah. scenario. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I get desire for it. And, you know, there's a, the whole arguments, you know, that's what we used to be like and all this kind yeah. of stuff. And it's, it's tough. The whole what we used to be like thing is like, yeah, but we're not living in that world anymore. The world's very different. Yeah. And, and do we have the tools, like you said, like, am I secure enough mm-hmm. for that to happen? Yeah. You know, not let my imagination run wild. Is my partner just sleeping with that person or do they love me less than them? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, so. it's, I really get it. The aspect of like, it's in our biology it's not it's not natural to be monogamous because otherwise we would be with one person for the whole time we're alive not just for each marriage like by the fact that we have you can have multiple marriages and like loves in your life means we're not monogamous but it is we are we are living in a society where it's very difficult the laws do not allow it there's it's frowned upon if you want children it's more difficult it's a lot of blocks in the way to actually trying to live that expression but do not find sometimes that then there's people who are kind of carrying this, maybe say like shadow or shame, or they really feel not fully alive in a monogamous relationship, but then they don't really know how to truly Absolutely. express it. It's a real dilemma, yeah. I think, for a lot. And then they end up yeah. cheating. <laughs> totally. They end up cheating or they develop some other addiction that is to quell that feeling. You know, maybe they drink, maybe they do something else. Yeah, I get that. I mean, and it's understandable. You know, we live in such a visual world. People are showing themselves more, you know, provocatively than maybe ever before. Um, There's a lot of, there's a lot, I think there's a lot less loyalty than there used to be to an individual, Mm. you know, but a huge part of my coaching is around commitment. Mm. And commitment is often regardless how you feel. That's why when people get married, there are vows yeah. because you're making a promise and the promise doesn't go, I'll take care of you when I feel like it. Yeah. Promise goes, I'll take care of you no matter what. Mm. And inevitably in a relationship, you are not even going to like the person that you're with, but will you love them? Mm-hmm. Will you love them when you're not in the mood? Will you love them when they don't look the way they did when you met them? doesn't mean there isn't going to be a temptation there might be that you know sexy guy or beautiful woman at work and she's got all the things that you remember your partner used to have and all that shit i get the temptation but what are you going to let you win you know your integrity your commitment or your impulse not not saying that's easy again not not. create some alternative not saying you can't communicate something you know, maybe you guys can work something. Maybe your partner's feeling the same way and maybe she wants to do that. And maybe you guys talk about it and through talking about it, you realize, actually, wait, I don't want to do that. It was just a fantasy that slipped mm-hmm. my mind. You know, so it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's chemicals. Like you said, it's biological. You know, it's also biological for us to, you know, fight for food and we probably used to kill each other with our bare hands too. I'm glad we're not doing that anymore. Yeah. You know, so it's tough. Yeah. Hmm. 
if someone can work it out, I would love to know how they're doing it. I would. Love I mean, I think we're going gradually by gradually each generation. And it's like, even if you think in the last 20 years, the concept of like polyamory and open relationships talked about so much more and so much shifts, but it's for like this generation. And I've, from my experience, it's like, it's a bit much. <laughs> also for my nervous system was when I was open relating. It's like, if your nervous system's not in check, if your attachment styles aren't in check, it's just like, yeah, it's a recipe for a lot of pain. Yeah, maybe it's possible, like you said, with those things really managed, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. I'm curious so. how you coach people with the commitment aspects. Like how, um, because I know nowadays there's a, the rate of divorces is so high because people may be having these issues, have that conversation. And then instead of being, well, we persevere nevertheless, they're like, okay, we divorce or we split. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how, how do you navigate that? Because that's a huge topic at the moment of people splitting after coming together. Well, it's a very gradual process. They don't address that in the beginning. Mm. You know, for someone to, you know, learn what commitment means, that's going to, it's going to take some unveiling of some things because chances are they committed before and it didn't go so good. Yeah. So now their definition of commitment might feel like a red flag. It might feel like an absolute danger zone. Last time I committed, he cheated. Or last time I committed, I got left. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the moment I showed my cards and showed how much I loved them, they stopped loving me. Mm -hmm. So we got to get to the source of, well, what actually happened in the past? Where are you dragging that? That's causing you to not be able to commit. So that's, that's one part of it. The other part is connecting people with their own integrity. So, you know, integrity is, is often talked about with like, you know, do what you say you're going to do at work. You know, and the way I address it is like integrity is knowing yourself and following your intuition. And most people are completely disconnected to their intuition. Their values. And so, say it again. And their values. And their values. So it's not, so you can't really commit then. Mm -hmm. Cause it's, it's so wishy-washy where I don't, who am I? What, what matters to me? I don't know. Like it's, so once we get that established, mm -hmm. you know, where am I out of integrity in my life? What, what is there to put in? Mm -hmm. Then I have actually a place to stand that I can commit. Yeah. But until we get complete with the past, you can't commit. It's like, to me, it's like, you know, you're trying to paint, you're trying to paint rainbows over shit. Mm -hmm. you know, it's yeah. like, well, Paint up the ship first, you know, and then let's get a blank canvas and paint. Yeah. I love the analogy of like, if you have a garden, you're like pulling out all the weeds and then like churning up the soil again so they can suck yeah. new ones coming through. Yeah. And then I don't think people look at relationships like that. I think we go, okay, I'm just going to stick this sunflower like on top of the compost bin. It's like, yeah. well, you know, <laughs> I love that one. I mean, so this, this brings to mind if, if people are, doing let's say like an inventory of their past relationships like oh i'm holding on to anger because someone treated me this way and then this other person did this and this other person betrayed me and i'm carrying that with me say like as emotional baggage and i remember there's, there's this comedian um eliza i think she's called and she does this skit where you come in as in a relationship you come in through the door like looking all beautiful and then after like three months it's when the ogre appears with the big bag of sack and it's like dragging a sack of emotional baggage in just like putting it onto the shelves like ready to open up in the next argument <laughs> so i also like how do you help people with 
I mean, identifying it is one point, but how moving through all of this junk that you're carrying as well. Well, it's tough to answer in the short form because I have a whole exercise. Give me long form. <laughs> yeah, it's, you'd have to, you know, we really dive into it, you know, and I have a, a course that I put people through that, you know, helps do this and then calls that bring it to a deeper level. But the short form would be, okay, what happened in those past relationships? Not what you think happened. What actually happened? Mm -hmm. What did they say? What was the source of the breakup? And what limiting belief did I pile on top of that? Mm -hmm. And that takes some unveiling. It's hard to be honest about that. So it's hard to see it, you know? And it might be like, I can't trust women. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. So you're walking around with, I can't trust women. Imagine what it's like for a woman to be with you then. Mm -hmm. yeah that's in the background so while she's showing herself to you just you know being herself with you mm -hmm. right there is i don't trust you well people can feel that yeah that's gonna and, and this is a brand new person so so often we're talking to the new person like the old person i'm addressing you like you're my ex well i didn't do anything so your ex did mm -hmm. yeah i'm not operating from a blank slate that's not going to work mm-hmm so that's the first where we go through different relationships in your life. You know, the ones that really, you know, were impactful. Maybe they left a scar and we go, okay, what, what actually happened? And what limiting belief were you walking around with that? And then the next part of the exercise is like distinguishing, like getting really clear about reality and the story we're making up about that reality. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the confrontations I had in a previous relationship was... I wanted that person to show love when we saw each other, like greet each other at the door, hug, kiss, like take moments to be with each other. That was really important to me. When I addressed that, I was really scared to bring it up. I was scared I would seem too needy. So I kind of brought it up. And she said, well, that's just not really something I do. And then I left it there. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was the beginning of the end of our relationship because I stepped over something I needed and I didn't negotiate with her to come to a new agreement. So I was walking around like she doesn't care. Women don't care. Women don't listen. And it's like, okay, but what actually happened? What happened was she said she doesn't do that. So Simon, where are you not being responsible? I didn't communicate what I actually wanted there because I was scared of how I would look. That's where we begin to have power. Mm -hmm. But you can see it takes some steps to get there because I was convinced that what happened and the story I had about what happened were exactly the same thing. Yeah, it's an illusion we tell ourselves almost. It's uh, an illusion. It caters yeah. to some belief that's like perfect evidence. You know, mm -hmm. I was talking to a client today her story that she's working to transform is, am I good enough? Mm -hmm. And so when she's feeling not good enough, all she sees is evidence proving that story and completely is blind to the things that are acknowledging her, celebrating her. And she just got, you know, she, she wanted to get the more money in her profession and she asked for it for the first time in her life and she got it. And she was questioning whether she was good enough, right? You can see how unreal that is. It's so absurd. Mm. 
Yeah, there's something that's just come through about that it feels like avoidance and so the fear of like being vulnerable and fear is such a thing we try and avoid all the time it's like you don't want to speak your needs because it's like I'm afraid of I'm going to look needy I'm afraid I'm going to look desperate and that's the root I think of so many miscommunications is that we're just afraid and yeah that's I know it's something that I notice a lot I, it's a it's scary the heart is like also to open your heart and to show people the real you is something we don't always allow and yeah there's if there's anybody who's feeling particularly afraid to be vulnerable with others or afraid to show themselves is that what what kind of advice would you give them or just like a gentle reassurance or something yeah well I think you hit the nail on the head the fear is the motivator that's the thing leading, you know, that's why I named my program love over fear. Cause I believe we only make every choice from one of two spots yeah. from fear or from love. Yeah. For me with that conversation with that former partner fear, mm-hmm. if I was being loving, I would have communicated what there was for me, which takes courage. Yeah. Even just saying it, it's like such a release. I feel like you cannot feel fear at the same time as feeling love. It's not you possible. Can't. I try it. <laughs> Exactly. And it's distinct. That's why they're so like polarizing. It is distinct. It's very clear. You know, and so, you know, for anyone who's struggling with fear right now, I think one, stop waiting to be fearless. A lot of people are waiting to be fearless. They think that if they manage their finances, they're not going to be scared of being broke. And they think if they're going to wait till someone tells them they love them then i will be confident enough to go out there not gonna happen Mm -hmm. so quit waiting for that ship to come to the docks okay next one is what's the smallest thing that would move you forward that you think you could handle so maybe it's not approaching someone that seems too scary maybe instead it's signing up for an app saying hi to a stranger let's break it down aim low let's make it the smallest possible thing so don't if you're afraid of something if you had that what would be the thing you would do before it Mm -hmm. do that that. yeah because i'm not i'm not for like yeah just buck up and just do it it's like that doesn't work that doesn't work i think it takes you got to develop that confidence first yeah and if you're thinking of your nervous system like to suddenly go running into a cafe and asking someone if they want a coffee with you, who's a hot stranger. Like if your nervous system's already not in a safe place, it's not going to, it's going to re-traumatize you almost. And even on just a small level. And then you'll be like, Oh, it's speaking to people is horrible. Why would I want to do this? And yeah, it's, I really love that. Aim low. (laughs) Aim low. Let's build up to it. And one of the challenges with aiming low for a lot of people is particularly perfectionists is they feel like it's not good enough. Their Mm -hmm. low aim Mm -hmm. will make a difference. But here's the thing, aiming low, you're not going to stay there. That we're just looking to build some momentum. Yeah. Let's just nudge you. Okay. How do you get a car going hundred kilometers an hour? Well, it's got to start going one first. Let's Mm -hmm. nudge it in that direction before you know it, you're going to be at a hundred. Yeah it's a tough one to be humble to do the smaller thing i think too yeah. you know i talk to coaches that have these huge business ideas and i'm like okay have you called anybody mm-hmm. you know have you done the grunt work that 
is just so obvious, but it feels useless. Yeah. It's actually the key. Uh, it's the it's the key to sustainable change. I think as humans, we we think we can make these big leaps like New Year's resolutions and things like this, but it's actually <laughs> tiny steps. Like you want to you want to make a change so small that you don't even notice you're changing. And that's the thing. It's like these little minuscule step ups. And then after a month or two, you're like, oh, whoa, okay, my habits have really changed. My mindset has really changed from before. That's right. 1%. That's I do these things in my program. It's from the first session is they create dailies. Dailies are the 1% actions that move me, Mm -hmm. that extend me. And your daily might be, I took three breaths. Mm -hmm. And maybe in three months from now, it's I meditated for five minutes. Mm -hmm. And maybe three months after that, it's I've done my first breathwork class. Mm -hmm. And suddenly, meditation is just part of your life. You didn't even realize it just kind of happened. Yeah. But this idea of like, okay, now I'm going to meditate 20 minutes every day. And then it's like, you're going to quit. You're going to give up. Yeah. It takes like 40 days for a habit to be formed. So it's, yeah. Bit by bit. Cool. Okay. I have one last question topic. And um, nowadays, let's say post Corona, um, it's a changed world. There's, I know things are opening up and there's a lot more opportunities of like going out. But I know a lot of people, especially when we end up going into different lockdowns and there's a lot of separation, people saying it's just really hard to meet someone nowadays. Like I remember during the lockdown, most people were just going on like Tinder dates and just that the local park was like where everyone was going on walks around the park with different dates. And it seems like it is harder to meet people nowadays. So if someone (laughs) says that to you, which I know it sounds like a limiting belief already, but if you're maybe more like nervous, introvert, worried about your health as well, if you don't want to be going out to big festivals or things like that, how can people try and meet their king or queen? Yeah, it's funny because, you know, before COVID, people said the same thing. Mm-hmm. This isn't a new thing. There's always something, you know, there's always something that proves the context we're in. I believe however we live is based on the context we're living in. So if I'm in the context that dating's hard, Corona or no Corona, I'm going to find a reason that makes dating hard. Mm -hmm. So first part is to just get that. You probably said that before Corona happened. Second part is, yeah, there's things to manage, you know, particularly around health. Okay. Maybe there are things to communicate. You know, if you're someone who's concerned about being with someone who's vaccinated or not, it's important to bring that up, which is a great exercise for you in communication. Mm -hmm. And in fact, may very quickly weed out those people who are not for you. I also think if you were to shift the context, I think Corona has actually made people a lot more present to what's important to them. Mm. I think people now value connection more than they ever have. Mm. So that's the flip side. Now people are like, you know what? Being alone in my house for six months is not fun. Yeah. I like to have a partner. Yeah. No, which guess what? You're not the only one thinking that. So maybe now people are even more intentional about what they want. You don't have to waste your time with someone who's just kind of dating around and you get to find someone who's looking for a relationship. Mm -hmm. So I think in the face of Corona, I get that there's less social opportunities for that. And so you might need to recalibrate how that looks. Maybe it's time to start sharing with your friends what kind of relationship you're interested in. Maybe they know someone who knows someone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe maybe it looks like... um, Maybe it looks like going on apps, 
you know, and I'm not for or against apps. I think some, there's a great success stories. I think there's also a lot of, you know, terror stories, but I think it's about pivoting the meaning we're making about it, you know, and taking that responsibility of, okay, what do I want? How will I put myself in position to attract that? Oh, I think that's it. It's also to just be open for things like I, you'll learn this about me, but I have this weird superpower that whenever I leave the house, I make friends. Where I'm, I go to a cafe or go out or I walk, I'm in the supermarket, whatever. And I, I'm very open to people. Like I make eye contact. If I see someone who also has good energy, I'll smile at them. And it doesn't necessarily mean you have to go up and just speak to strangers, but to just be energetically open to whatever magic is kind of coming your way. I call it magic, whatever you want to call it, people, opportunities. But the simple gift of eye contact sometimes is enough to just trigger a conversation with someone and it may not be a date with that person but you may find you have a thing in common and you go with them to that thing and then you meet someone cool there so it's the network like you say your friends it's being open to the world and yeah all of the work that you help people with prepares the foundations for this I also feel so. and I think with your experience you just proved that you know that is a limiting belief mm-hmm. yeah what is it about you that has you make friends easily well there's something about your energy there's something that's attractive about you that draws people in. It's like, okay, well then there's a way. Yeah, for sure. It's just, you know, and it doesn't have to be obvious. It might not be like I'm here. King is there. Yeah. It might be like you meet someone at a coffee shop who invites you to a thing, who introduces you to someone else who then, you know, might look like that. That's, that's quite often. And that's, that's the like beauty of life. I think like the beauty of yes. connections, it's, you're not just aiming for that partner you're aiming for a fun route to get to that partner as well and if you have like joy and laugh and magic and things on the way then yeah oh okay this has covered a lot of amazing relationship topics and before we finish I do want to touch on the other very important aspect of your life which is your advocacy for people with Huntington's disease would you like to touch on this for a few moments because this I know is something very important to you as well. Yeah, so I wanted to touch on this just for any of your listeners who may be affected by Huntington's disease or know someone affected by Huntington's disease. So uh, my dad died from Huntington's disease three years ago and it's, for those of you who don't know, it's a genetic disorder. You're born with it or you're not. You get your mom's version or your dad's version. So anyone who's has a parent of Huntington's disease has a 50% chance that they also will get Huntington's disease. When I was 25, I got tested for the gene and found out that I'm positive for it as well. So until there's a cure, I will get Huntington's disease. I'm intending that I don't. I'm intending through lifestyle factors, through the magic of things that I can't even see yet, that I'm never going to get it. Mm-hmm. Now, that being said, it's an extremely challenging thing. It's, it's, it's described as having Alzheimer's, ALS, and Parkinson's all at the same time. It's really, really brutal. So... To, to bring it up here is really to just let anyone know who might know someone affected by it or is affected by it, you know, that you're not alone, that you're welcome to reach out to me to talk about it because it was very isolating for me for a long time. And also to recognize, you know, that um, these things can be a huge gift. You know, I live a life that I'm, I'm very proud of and I'm, I'm really happy about. And part of it is because Huntington's disease motivates me to live fully. Mm. You know, so what we're all dealing with something. I don't know anybody who doesn't have something in their family that's challenging, you know? And so I share this 
so that you're not alone and that there there are there are ways that you can not have that thing stop you and maybe even it can be something that you can use to elevate you beautiful thank you for your work and for the advocacy of this it's yeah super important is there anything you want to share how can i support you is there anything you want to share in this amazing conversation it's been a privilege to talk to you it, honestly, it has. I mean, a lot of the topics we've touched on have come from personal experience. So this is why I love doing this podcast, because I, I also learn a lot. And it's also very relevant to my own healing journey, as well as other people in my life. So the openness of the topics already is, yeah, it's been nourishing and very enriching. And yeah, also to feel your very grounded energy as well. Oh, thank you so much. Can yeah. I ask you, um, what does in tune mean to you? Mm. for me in tune is living a life that's in balance despite the challenges of life that come up and really being empowered to be my own healer my own self healer so knowing that every person I have in my life is also able to heal themselves in whatever way that looks whether it's their emotions their body their spirit all of those aspects and this is yeah for me, why profiling all these people is also so important because it's the more inspiration you can get from other people. And if you know someone else has done it, then you can also do it. And it's trying to remove the limiting views that we have in life sometimes. That's very cool. So that you, yeah, you can heal yourself. You believe everyone else can heal themselves. You know, I really hear you seeing people as big people there, yeah. you know, that we all have a power and sometimes we're aware of that power. Sometimes we're not, but it's still there might just yeah. be hiding things but I feel like a cheerleader sometimes I like with my clients I, like, I really see their potential and it's just like ah oh. also the Michael Jackson song heal the world just came to mind but <laughs> it's, right um so okay last thing to cover then how could people find you work with you who in particular um would be suitable for the programs and stuff you're doing and I will also add all of your links below in the description as well amazing yeah, so um, uh, best way to find me is on Instagram, at Simon.Nicholas, as you said, you'll add mm -hmm. below. Um, and I have a website, simonpellin.com. I'll be changing the name because you can see that they're not aligned yet. Um, but uh, the people who work with me um, most often are people who are single looking for a long-term relationship. That's the typical people who work with me. I also work with couples who are... Mm -hmm. Ha like they deeply love each other, but they're having challenges. Maybe they've disconnected. Okay. Maybe they've created a pattern of arguments or distance that they don't want to tolerate anymore yeah. and they want to get reconnected. Yeah. So those are the Beautiful. people I typically love. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being on here. And I mean, I think with the topics we've touched on, there's going to be more episodes of this coming together. But... Oh, I would love that. I would love yeah. that. Is there anything you want to share, you know, this is your podcast, but I'm probably going to share about you as well on mine. So let's like, is there anything you want to share about what people, what you're offering right now? And yeah, I mean, um, people will know this through um, the different episodes, but I work with people with the different five frequencies of their life. So holistically looking at their life and where things are out of balance. And I normally work with a five month program because it's five frequencies and cool. Yeah, just uh, this is one on one. This is also in groups if it's with things like emotional release and breath work. And yeah, I just want a whole like army of self healers to be like cascading around the world. So.
Right. You sound like such a perfect person for that because, you know, you talk about your energy, you know, and frequency is energy. Mm. You know, so it sounds like that's a real match for, for you. Perfect. Thank you. It's nice to hear yeah. that as well. Lovely. Yeah. Okay. I will see everyone else on the next podcast. And again, Simon, thank you very much.